Life, in many ways, is about choices. And if you're listening to this podcast, you may well have chosen wool as something to produce, something to wear, or an industry to be a part of. In this episode, we meet two people who have taken a chance with wool in the not-too-distant past, and now are very pleased they did. Welcome to The Yarn, the number one wool industry podcast. I'm Marius Cumming. Alistair Carr is from central Victoria and whilst having grown up on a wool growing property decided to start his own wool broking business, Carree Wool, in an already very competitive market. As someone who knows a thing or two about the industry beyond the farm gate, he says the current trend of transparency and traceability is all fine but it has to pay. I deal with commercial wool growers mainly and um, most commercial wool growers will say, well, am I going to get paid extra money if I go down this path of wanting to have my bales traced all the way through? There are challenges because of that segmentation of the pipeline all the way from the southern hemisphere all the way to the northern hemisphere and to the retail shelves. Um, Often I've... um, I think the challenges would be the the batch size and the commercial scale of, of the wool industry. So often batch sizes are 150, 250 bales of wool. So there's not many farmers that are that, are that large individually. So, um, But, yeah, I, I do definitely think there's something there, Marius, that, that needs to be explored, and particularly if the consumer is prepared to pay a premium and that premium can be passed back down the, the pipeline to the grower. That is a, a common thing, isn't it? <laughs> we, we'd like more information, fine, yes, happy to provide that and join X, Y and Z, but at the end of the day it also needs to uh, to pay its own way. So so given that, what, what is the future for um, East Species and, and, and things that are digitising that end of the industry, such as, uh, as WoolQ yep. and uh, the like? Look, I'm, I'm a big advocate to keep things very simple and, and I look at the livestock System. So when, when a farmer sells their livestock, they have one central um, declaration which can either be done online or tradi- out of a traditional manual book, but it's the same whether you sell through broker A, broker B or uh, broker C. So in the wool industry, every individual broker, ourselves included, has individual um, manual specification sheets. Now, I'm a believer that it should all be consolidated into one. Um, the market really has to decide, well, yes, we'll queue. Um, they've developed a system. We certainly like it. We have clients that use that. Um, if everyone um, was to use the same platform, regardless of which selling broker they, I think they use, I think it, that that would streamline um, the data flow and, and and be an advantage to the industry. So, um, yeah, we're certainly supporters of of um, the WoolQ system in in what they've built so far. Now, you're known for someone with a lot of optimism and ideas uh, in the industry, Alistair, and you've in recent times actually taken uh, quite a few wool growers uh, overseas on a bit of a tour. How did that, how did that go? What did, you, what did you see and what, what did you come back with? Well, that was like a, a, a um, lifetime ago because it was pre-COVID and the virus. Um, so that was September 2019. We took a group of 42 wool growers over, which was a very large group. Yeah, you came back saying that as well. <laughs> I think I lost a bit of hair and, uh, yeah, I'm off my head. Um, from the stress, but we, we look. It was 
looking back on it, um, I think it wasn't until we left at the Melbourne airport that I realised um, that what we'd taken on and and and. Uh, but from all the feedback and the people that went along, I think it was the trip went really smoothly and, and they all had a um, broad section of, um, of exposure to the, the Chinese wool industry and um, uh, they met some characters and, 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 and got a real cultural experience and look it's something we want to do another trip um, once everything settles down and we can start travelling again. Um, we'll do another one to another country because the feedback was yeah a lot of those 42 want to do it again to another country so yeah, it's it's a big investment. They're all it was a self-funded, you know, all the all the clients self-funded their own trips, and um, and it was great to see their optimism about investing in their own education, and that was the biggest um, buzz we got out of it all. We we coordinated it, and um, um, yeah, they they all felt as though they got they got a lot out of it. A few of them commented that they wished they'd brought the younger generation because um, yeah, the next generation coming through were all working the farm, so um, so next time they'll probably send some of the uh, the next generation. <laughs> and what were the perceptions that were changed um, through that trip? Uh, growers that saw Australian wool being processed and yep. and sold overseas. What uh, was there? Do the do, do, do pennies drop or do they come back more optimistic or maybe more pessimistic? No, I think more optimistic because I think they the pennies dropped in the area that some of these processes um, in our wool industry, they can't process anything other than wool through their machines and they're, they're investing tens and hundreds of thousands of US dollars into um, into machinery and technology that that is only able to be used on on wool not just Australian wool but wool from all around the world so when they see that level of investment and that level of optimism um, in China to they realize that these people aren't going away they're not just they're not just there one day and gone the next they've they've invested in long-term business plans and um, it's um, it had a, it's at a scale that, I th- that that shocked all of them. They just didn't realise how how big the industry is. And probably the other major penny that dropped in in everyone's mind is is the retail consumption inside of the China market. That's something that um, a lot of the world doesn't quite realise that their their consumer demand internally within China is now at such a level um, where. Uh, let's say that maybe half of the wool going into China may actually be consumed as an end product inside of China versus 20 to 30 years ago they were a manufacturer, they were an import re-export hub and and that's really exciting because that's a new market that wasn't there 20 to 30 years ago and, and, and I also add finally that AWI supported part of our trip up there in, in um, that we visited the Shanghai office and 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 they saw the the investment and the, the networks that are um, very evident with what they're doing up there as part of um, the levy fees that growers are paying. So, well, I don't know how we can uh, communicate that better, Alistair. It's um, it's a perennial problem that we have that um, growers don't necessarily fully understand what is done on their behalf overseas until they go there. I mean, you can see it in Beyond the Bale or wherever, but. Um, until you see it for yourself, I suppose they don't necessarily see the value that's over there. It's very hard now, Marius, with the 
the lack of um, processing in Australia because so much of it has moved offshore and um, it's very hard to see it with our own eyes so not everyone's privileged enough to get to travel over there um, it's difficult other than continuing to educate the market about how how bigger investment downstream processes make in in our fibre um, so um, yeah, we just need to continue to, to explain that to, to wool growers that, that um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot more to it than, than just the wool growing part of it. But of course, none of it happens without without the growers out there passionate passionately growing and expanding their enterprises. And speaking of that, um, you're here in Central Victoria, where obviously uh, there's a lot of uh, mixed farming um, cropping is huge. You're here uh, in a, a quite a famous hay producing area. Um, they're not necessarily having to grow wool, but you're very optimistic for the future of wool in this region and the expansion of wool amongst uh, mixed farmers. Why is that? Yep. Well, we've seen um, that running a self-replacing breeding system um, or, or there's two, two market segments. So there's the breeders and there are some traders that, that will bring in uh, bring in lambs from the north and finish them on their properties and their and their, their stubbles and, and and feed them feed them grain and, and grow wool and, and meat in in that type of a system. But if we focus mainly on the breeders, we're seeing a lot of the breeders in our area um, upgrade their shearing sheds um, and invest back in their in their wool producing systems. Um, they they um, are well placed to have a mixed enterprise here in in um, in that the sheep um, work in correlation with the cropping um, and particularly some of the varieties of crops that are being grown they're, they're like a dual purpose grazing you can graze um, certain crops that then can be taken the sheep can be taken off and they can run to seed so they're in effect duplicating production so um, sheep are a very, very important tool, I believe, going forward through this region and um, particularly now that we're seeing mutton prices and, and the, the old sheep um, finishing their, their productive lives um, at such a valuable item. Uh, mutton's been quoted at $7 a kilo at the moment. So, so to have um, you know, a good, sustainable um, system of sheep growing within a cropping system in this region is a very strong business so um, there's certainly some croppers that unfortunately have got out of sheep and probably um, will find it hard to afford to get back into them Um, so the ones that have stuck at it are really getting rewarded now. Would you put young farmers in that group as well I mean there's this sort of rural myth I suppose whether it's a myth or not I don't know but there is of course that that dialogue that young young farmers can't get out of a tractor or won't get out of a tractor and aren't interested in sheep. But are you seeing a different type oh, of look, young farmer? Yeah, there certainly has been a big movement towards cropping, whether it's cropping for hay or cropping for grain. But but numbers don't lie, Marius. At the end of the day, um, if you look at your numbers and, and your profit profitability in running self-replacing merino flock or a um, first cross fat lamb um, system, um, or trading, trading potentially some um, livestock and fattening livestock through this region to have some of them in, in your business along with cropping. Um, you can't continuously crop. You can't, no one can tell me you can just continuously crop paddocks. You need to return some of them to pasture. So what do you do with those pasture paddocks? Um, sheep are an ideal fit in your rotation. So that's how croppers are building them into their business. Um, 
but as I said, the capital outlay to start start from scratch now, it, it nearly means that we will see um, our, our clientele simply grow their production and, and probably won't see that many new people returning. I don't think it'll just be um, current producers getting bigger. So for the future for you, I think you just yeah you just said that you may not be increasing your number of clients, but they're going to be increasing their their flocks. Um, so it sounds like you're pretty optimistic for the future of sheep and particularly for wool in this very diverse agricultural environment in this part of the world. Absolutely, I think they've got a real place in in um, in our agricultural programs through this these regions that we work within, um, and um, I think. They're fantastic products. Like they're ethically, if everyone's ethically and and uh, growing their product and and being sustainable sustainable with the way they do it, then um, yeah, sheep sheep have a have a very light footprint on on our agricultural systems compared to probably crop some of the cropping systems. Are they sustainable? Well, well, I think we've proven over a hundred odd years that sheep are sustainable. Well, that's something we can certainly work on um, in terms of the marketing. But, uh, Alistair, thank you very much for joining the yarn. It's been a, a great pleasure to have a bit of your time and so, uh, yeah, appreciate you um, having a chat with us. No, thank you very much and all the best to all the listeners out there and um, let's hope we get a, a really good um, season break and, and, um, and we're in for another really productive season this this year and and um, enjoy it because there's been a lot of tough years leading up to these last couple so good luck with all of it and let's hope we come out of this vaccination period uh, bigger and stronger than ever. Alistair Carr there from Kari Wool. So on the point of returning to normality let's meet wool grower and stud breeder at Cooley Vale Marinos Alan Harris who is also the head of the Loddon Valley Merino Field Day Group in Victoria. And he says everyone is looking forward to getting back to some sense of normal. Yeah, well, look, we've obviously missed out. We enjoy showing our sheep, so um, we've missed out to go to all the sheep shows and catching up with everyone. And a lot of people you only see once a year, like at Bendigo or at Hamilton. And, um, yeah, we've missed the camaraderie and and seeing what other people's genetics are. So, um, you know... If, you might see that sire you might use it in a semen program or, or to buy one. You know, probably didn't have that opportunity this year. But, um, yeah, we've sort of missed all those things and looking forward to seeing what everyone else is doing and how they're going. Yeah. Now, Alan, um, you've been very modest about yourself. You've been in this game a long time and you actually came into uh, the, um, the stud industry at a time when you seemed to be the only young person interested in... in um, in this part of the industry some years ago. Um, what was it like back then and how's, how's your journey been? Yeah, oh, look, it's been a long one, Marius, I guess, um, but it's, it's good to be young and passionate, I think, at the time and, um, and, and a good work ethic. I just dove headfirst into it and, and I probably thought, you know, the wool prices and sheep industry was going to get better quicker and it, and it, and it didn't, but we're seeing the fruits of that now. Um, but I just love breeding stud sheep and um, merinos suit our country so it was a good fit and, and we thought we could do something a bit different and, and, and what suited us and um, yeah it was just yeah it's just a passion I just love doing it and yeah we're not a big farm that was the other side we thought well we can sell a few rams and you know, help things along yeah. 
But over the last 20 years, gee, Mother Nature's thrown up some challenges uh, through some really crippling droughts and, and then seasons like last year, which were uh, a fantastic season for you. How have Merinos fitted into the seasons that have been thrown up in the last couple of decades for you? Yeah, look, they've been a constant, I guess, um, even though times were pretty tough in the 2000s with, with um, dry years and probably depressed wool prices and you know, high grain prices for feeding them. But they're always there and they're always a constant. Um, you know, as long as you keep your core breeding flock, there's always somewhere to go. You can always increase, you can always decrease, diversify. Um, so I think they're just, they're just a constant um, and they're very resilient. Mm-hmm. You can just... Yeah, the versatile is, is sort of what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and uh, through the the most uh, recent drought, um, how did you manage to to keep that core breeding flock through? And uh, you must be very pleased that you have been able to do that now that uh, things seem to be very much on the other side. Yeah, well, um, ten years ago, you question yourself, well, why am I doing this? But um, but yeah, you know, it's finally come through, and um, yeah, you, you just battled along and got by. I did a lot of part-time shearing and to help get through and um, pay the bills. But you always thought, well, there's going to be a you know we've gone from 170 million sheep to 70. There is going to be a shortage of sheep meat in the world. There is going to be a shortage of wool, and, and it should fit in with the way the world's thinking. You know, wool's a renewable, clean product, and you know, always thought it, it, it will come at a premium. Just um, just probably took a bit longer than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the future, Alan? How are you feeling about that? Oh, I'm very optimistic. Sheep meat prices are amazing. Um, and wool, it's done, you know, I think it's shown great resilience um, in the last two months, especially the market. And it's still in pandemic over the world and it's, and it's rising. So I think there's great demand out there. And if we get COVID out of the way, I think it's... Um, Things got a great future. Just what I said before, it's it fits what the world wants, and and AWI have done some great things, um, you know, in marketing and product development, you know, in such an active way, and things that you wouldn't have even thought of ten years ago. Yeah. Well, that's nice of you to say. I didn't even prompt you to say that. I just want people to know that. But so, have you been? Have you spent a bit of time with overseas, looking at where it all ends up at the other end? No, I've is that ne- something you want to do? I've never been, but yeah, it is on the, it is on the bucket list, I suppose you'd say. I'd, yeah, I'd like to go over and have a look at where wool goes and um, and how they how they go about it. But um, yeah, talking to other people who've been on tours, it's they just it's so mind mind blowing, really. What you know, the size of the mills and what they're doing, and the confidence that a lot of them have got in it. So that that gives you um, confidence as a wool grower. Yeah. Right. Well, we'll have to pencil you in for one of those um that one of those tours that sounds good all right well very much appreciate um your time today all the best with the Loddon valley field day group um let's hope it goes ahead and goes from strength to strength um into the future but thanks for having a yarn with us no worries. thanks marius alan harris from cooley vale marinos and the Loddon valley field day group So I hope you've enjoyed hearing from two passionate and successful youngish people who took a chance with wool. So these ideas came from suggestions and if you have them, please send them through on email to theyarn at wool.com. But for now, from me, Marius Cumming, thanks for having a yarn with us.